going to vote Act. Oh, you are not. I am. I'm going to vote Act. I'm sick of the bloody... I'm sick of the... You listen to too much talkback radio. That's the sound of a happily married couple with incompatible politics. No, I'm not talking to you about politics because you're just so myopic about it. You're just locked into one way of thinking and you are never going to change your mind. It's the details producer Alexia Russell and her husband of 30 years, Darren McClay. How would you know how I'm going to vote? I've never told you. Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious that they clash on politics. You've got nothing to back up your arguments. You're just going with what your parents oh, do. Oh, except for facts. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, can you date, marry, or even be friends with someone who votes the opposite way? Well, not if you're a Trump voter in the US. It's so bad there, one famous Republican couple's differences over him have blown up in public. Conway has freely attacked the president for a long time, despite being married to top Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway. Just this past week, tweeting Trump is a fraud and an embarrassment, an inveterate liar, a narcissistic, sociopathic demagogue. Noted to conservative attorney George Conway normally sticks to 280 characters to troll President Trump on Twitter. He's called him pathological, a narcissistic, sociopathic demagogue, a cancer, a liar. And honestly, that's just this week. And their daughter wants to divorce them. Breaking news, ABC News has confirmed that longtime counselor to President Trump, Kellyanne Conway, will leave the White House at the end of this month, citing her need to focus on her family. In a statement, she called her time in the Trump administration heady and humbling, but said she and her husband are choosing to focus on what's best for their children. So is our politics hurting our love lives? Well, if you take any notice of the dating websites, yes. Major dating platforms, including OkCupid, Hinge, and Bumble, all introducing filters to sift out matches with, quote, incompatible politics. Many singles say they can't bridge the political divide to find love. Singles are putting it right out there on their dating profiles. Trump haters or Trump supporters need not apply. The idea for this podcast came from a robust conversation I had very early one morning with my boot camp trainer about, you guessed it, Trump. Things got so tense between the press-ups and the sprints, I nearly quit. Then I went ranting and raving into the office, and that really got the debate going. So can we have a political argument with our friends or family without hating them? Well, today I'm talking to someone who's got a foot in both countries with an intriguing story of his own. Danny Osborne is Associate Professor at Auckland University School of Psychology and teaches political psychology. He's been here nine years and he's part of the team working on the 20-year-old New Zealand Attitudes and Values Study that surveys about 60,000 people. Funny enough, a student of ours in our lab at the New Zealand Attitudes and Values Study just published um, a paper looking at polarization in New Zealand over the last uh, 10 years. And so this is pre-COVID that the data collection ended. Her data suggests that there's not much polarization occurring in New Zealand as of 2018. Um, That said, the COVID environment does seem like things are getting a, a bit more um, polarized. What are you seeing there? Well, I mean, everything from managed isolation to how we're dealing with the dead, et cetera. It, it's, really, it's really taken on a partisan flavor that I haven't seen since I've 
since I've been in New Zealand. Okay, what do you mean by that? It's taken on a partisan flavour. Just things like the managed isolation and how how the government has responded to breakouts and stuff. You know, nationals really, really hammered down hard on Labour in terms of some of the gaps that have occurred. So it's messy uh, and it's failed. Uh, We were told for a long time that our borders were secure, uh, that the country was getting on top of any COVID-19 threat. And it's hard to see how the parties could handle this any better, honestly. I mean, looking at the global environment of how COVID's going down, Labour's done a, a pretty good job, if, if you ask me. But it, it, it is interesting that people are still quite fired up about it. They mm-hmm. still have strong opinions either way, don't they? Definitely, definitely. And part of it is politics are about identities as well. So people are national supporters, they're Labour supporters, they're Green Party supporters. Um, same thing with the US, which is exponentially more polarised environment where you're basically born into a party in the US. Um, what do you mean by identities? <laughs> Taking it back to New Zealand, what do you mean by identities? Well, I mean, the political parties f- f- that we support become part of our identity and, and we start to invest some of who we are in the different p- political parties. So if you're a Labour supporter, you know, this election, depending on how it goes, you're either going to be extremely elated or quite defeated after after the election. And so COVID, because of what? Because we've had a period of lockdown, Uh, because this is such a life-changing experience that we're going through, is that making people feel more attached to the the politics that they believe in? I think so. I mean, we're we're very much in a bit of an existential crisis at the moment. The, The world is. And we know from psych research that these existential threats tend to lead people to either cling more strongly to their beliefs, um... Or an alternative hypothesis is it swings everyone to the right. Um, and I think what we're seeing is is more of the, the former situation where we're seeing people kind of kind of really hunker down in their initial ideological positions. So your work, just tell me a bit more about it. So as, as a member of the New Zealand Attitudes and Values Study, we basically just track New Zealanders' attitudes about various political issues over the last decade. And we're planning to go another another eight years if uh, funding permits. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, we, we just track people's attitudes and values, see how they're changing over time. Are people getting more or less egalitarian, more or less polarised, etc.? And you're saying that the latest research shows that actually attitudes and values haven't really changed up until 2018. Yeah, yeah. So this was um, a paper out of, out of uh, Nicole Satherley's uh, PhD thesis. And she, actually, she's now Dr. Satherley. Um, so congratulations, Nicole, if you're listening. Um, her her paper largely showed that polarization hasn't occurred over like really, really key issues within New Zealand politics. So things like abortion attitudes, etc. We're not really seeing attitudes becoming further apart from where they were when we started measuring in in, uh, the abortion issues were in 2011 and other things are back to 2009. We're we're just not seeing the parties going further apart. But do you feel that all of this could be quite outdated now, just in the period of two years? I think what the Trump election in 2016 shows us is that democracy is incredibly fragile and you know within within the period of 4 years you can you can just completely change your way of thinking in essence i mean we used to view the us as this paragon of of democracy and 
in one administration, that's all changed. And so I think the same thing can happen in New Zealand. We, we can very much see these issues start to polarise. What would it take for us to become more polarised like the US? If the parties start to see um, divides within the public, they can start taking progressively more disparate positions. And once that starts to occur, you, you know, you get identities aligned with the different parties. It is a long process, I think. Um, so Donald Trump is not like... It was pre-2016 and everything was peachy keen. Mm. You know, that, that was about a 30 or 40 year process that led to Donald Trump's election. So I, I think we just have to be mindful that we're not sowing the seeds of future discord in the contemporary environment. OK, because, you know, what we're talking about today is can you be friends with someone of the opposite political persuasion. And I did a little vox pop around the office. I've got plenty of friends who have vastly different political beliefs to me. And um, we have some raging, raging debates, arguments, shouting matches over dinner. It broadens your horizons. It makes you look at other opinions. No, I don't have an issue with it. My current girlfriend, we differ on, I, I would say, a decent few political issues. We have some quite heated debates, but I actually think it's quite healthy. Do yeah. you draw the line anywhere? If someone had particularly sort of extreme political views, I think I would find that quite hard to... Can't be a friend anymore. Uh, it, would be, it would be a struggle. So you're English. Yes. What's your experience in the UK where things are probably a little bit more divisive? Would you happily go out with someone who voted for someone from the other end of the political spectrum? I think I'd say yes, as long as they were up for debating it and talking about it, or that it didn't seep into arguments too much. I have friends who vote very differently to me. And they're good friends? Very good friends. Probably not Trump. Trump draws the line? Trump draws the line. Okay. We've got 50-50 split in our friend group and everyone's got their opinions, but I think it's good to have healthy discussion and I think being young, I think... It's good to be invested in politics and have that education, but the, where I draw the line is when people say, I just vote for who my parents voted for and they don't know anything about the party. That's when I get annoyed. I do feel right now that people are more passionate about things. What's your feeling? Yeah, the potential for cross-partisan friendships in a heightened state like this has a potential to go pear-shaped. In the US, there are loads of surveys out there that show that mm -hmm. there's no way, if you're a Democrat, you could never date someone um, who votes for Trump. This was like a deal breaker for me. If you're a Trump supporter, I'm not even going to consider meeting you for coffee. To 50-year-old Elizabeth Jagus, it's more than just party politics. It's about core values. She says love cannot conquer all. If you don't care about a person who says you can grab women by the and that's okay. I don't want to date you. As another single put it in her profile, red hats need not apply. But those red hats, you know, the ones stamped with Make America Great Again, they've been feeling it too. Yeah, it's, it's both ways. You know, like uh, a liberal doesn't want to date a Nazi and a Republican doesn't want to date a whiny snowflake. And that's what, that's what they're viewing each other as. 
in some sense, it goes back to what politics is in general, you know, who gets what. And if you have fundamental, such distinct visions of your answer to that question, it's hard to see how you would be compatible with somebody who, who just thinks completely differently than you. You've got family who are Trump voters? Yes. Um, so I'm a bit of a black sheep in the family. Um, Where do you come from? Uh, I'm from California, so... Oh, but everybody in California is a Democrat voter, aren't they? Yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the, the view from the outside is that, you know, you have Los Angeles and San Francisco and the entire state's blue. But if you go a couple hours east of either of those places, it gets very, very Republican very, very quick. And I grew up in the very, very Republican part of California. Which is? Um, a little south of Yosemite. Uh-huh. And then my parents moved me to Bakersfield uh, when I was a teenager, and that that's that's about as red as it gets. The president's supporters gathered in force this afternoon in Bakersfield. Pickup trucks bearing Trump flags parked at the Rosedale Promenade, complete with a cardboard cutout of President Trump himself. No word on what inspired this rally, but viewers told 17 News dozens, if not hundreds of trucks, joined this demonstration. I, I was a bit of an outcast. I was very strong into the punk community growing up, and, and I think that allowed me to kind of fortify my attitudes and, and really stay um, steadfast in my political views despite my larger macro context of being incredibly conservative. What does that mean for you? Can, can you have conversations <laughs> with family members about politics or about anything? So I mentioned at the start of the interview that I got this position in 2011. The first time I flew back to the States to visit family was right when um, Obamacare was being decided by the Supreme Court. And I th it must have been the day before I made it to my parents uh, that, the, that the Supreme Court came out and, and ruled that it was constitutionally legal. That was probably the most awkward visit I've had with my parents uh, in my entire life. My dad was so pissed the entire time. He was adamant that it was going to be overturned. And it just, it just really had this dark cloud over our whole visit, it's like an elephant in the room that none of us talked about. So with family members, you, can't, you just can't sit around the table at lunchtime and have a, have a good old debate about politics. Yeah, and, and so oddly enough, there's actually a study that was published right after the 2016 election um, where they looked at people's cell phone datas um, from uh, people who were coming from blue counties, so counties that had voted for Clinton, and looking at tracking data over the Thanksgiving holiday um, to see if people from blue counties spent less time at home in red counties than if they went back to, to counties that were also blue. And they found that um, people coming from blue counties, so people who had voted for Clinton, going back home to stay with people who voted for Trump, um, they spent like an average of an hour less at, at their family home and headed back <laughs> to their blue counties. So I, I think it's a general trend that people are pretty uncomfortable about these cross-partisan um, conversations. Has social media played a part in all of this? I think absolutely. Just thinking about my own personal experiences, like I can probably say this because there's no way that my brother's going to be listening to this, but like I've stopped following people on Facebook because of some of their posts, like family members, really close family members. I think it's magnified kind of the animosity between parties because social media is such a, in many ways it's a dangerous environment because it in many ways ups the ante in terms of, of the antagonism between parties. 
Is that because there's a lot of misinformation? So there's misinformation and then there's the echo chamber. So a lot, a lot of the things that people are posting, they're meant to be within partisan things. But if you come from a cross-partisan family and you're seeing like people posting things protesting against George Floyd's murder, um, it's meant to be aired within Republican constituents. But these cross-partisan things are, are infiltrating into some, some blue um, supporters. And it gets very, very uncomfortable very, very quick. Is it also a case that traditionally families would vote all the same way? You know, you'd vote what your parents voted for and the wife would probably vote what the husband voted for. But now individuals are encouraged to vote whichever way they feel. Oddly enough, there's actually some data out there suggesting that uh, partisanship might be heritable. Um, so that's how strong the link is. What does that mean? Uh, that there might be like a genetic component to um, how likely you are to, to vote for a particular party. I think it's come down more to how extreme you hold your partisan views. Um, so people who are very extremely conservative are likely to have very extremely conservative children. And likewise, people who are extremely liberal are likely to have extremely liberal um, kids. Sometimes that mismatches and you have an extremely liberal parent and an extremely conservative child. But most of the time it winds up being same same ideological positions as well. But long story short, it, it basically means that there's a very, very strong connection between parents and children's political attitudes. Except in your case. Except in my case, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you think made you different? Uh, so I mentioned that I moved to Bakersfield around the time that I was becoming a, in the middle of my teenage years. And I think that that had a, a big impact on me. Um, as I said, I wound up falling into the punk community. And there's a really, really strong egalitarian movement within the punk community. And it felt right. Um, it, it just allowed me to kind of fortify myself against the larger macro environment that was just so, so blatantly oppressive in my view. And do you think that's what got you into this, you know, your field of work too? Absolutely. I mean, the bands that I listened to when I was a kid are, are the bands that really shaped my career trajectory, really. I mean, the, what, what bands did you listen to? Um, like bands like Anti-Flag, uh, Propagandi, like really rancid. These bands that were talking about like blue-collar politics and like how free market capitalism wasn't free for everyone, you know? And, and it really opened my eyes to, one, the experiences that I was having as a kind of poor kid growing up in a, in a very unequal environment. It just spoke to me. How are you seeing things right now here in New Zealand? I hate to be a pessimist, but maybe it's just how crazy the U.S. politics have gotten over the last couple of years. I'm nervous, but I'm also cautiously optimistic. I think New Zealand has a really strong sense of solidarity, and particularly, you know, with a, around the team of five million, we're seeing people really chipping in with one another, making sure that we get through this together. And I hope that we're able to continue that cohesiveness beyond the, the 2020 election. What makes you nervous? Just seeing how quickly things can, can go haywire in, in different political contexts. So Brexit, um, the, the U.S. election, obviously, um, Australian elections, you, you know, th there's warning signs all around us that, that things can, can get um, pretty contentious pretty quick. What could go haywire here, though? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if there's another if there's another um, major outbreak of COVID in in New Zealand, uh, that's going to be something very um, that's going to be a major obstacle for the current administration. Anything else? Well, I mean, people's views on how we're going to manage the debt over the next couple generations. I mean, we're we're incurring an enormous debt to get through this this pandemic. Um, and and again, I, I think regardless of who was in power, we would be having the same conversation. But the main point is these are decisions that the New Zealand voters need to be making in this upcoming election and seeing how we see the the future of New Zealand over the next 10, 20 years. Do you think we've lost our debating skills? Do you think we've lost our ability to sit around the table as a big family or a group of friends and really debate things through in an informed way? I don't... I mean, it's the combo of the increase in technology. I mean... My daughter's five years old and she has an iPad. And, you know, as soon as she finishes dinner, she runs and, and, and tries to watch videos on it. And, and I think that that's pretty typical of many, many households. The amount of time that we're spending together might be less than it was 10 or 20 years ago. But at the same time, a few generations ago, people were worried about um, other technological advances. And, and so maybe, maybe we're not as different as we'd like to think um, from the past. I guess the counter to that argument might be um, educational levels across many countries around the world have increased considerably over the last couple decades. And presumably with increased education comes increased debating skills. What's your experience in New Zealand? I mean, you know, you get together with friends. What what do you find? One of the things that struck me as particularly different in New Zealand was the extent to which people switch parties between elections. Um, So it's not like you're Democrat in uh, 1980 and you're Democrat in 2020 or whatever. There's a lot of more strategic voting going on in New Zealand, I think. Um, So for somebody to go from a Green Party vote in 2017 to a Labour Party vote in 2020, it's it's not that surprising. Why do you think that is? Uh, It's probably MMP. There's a lot of benefits to having many parties in the system. And when we're looking at the U.S. with 350 million people who just have two people to choose from, logistically speaking, two parties to choose from, it has the potential to really inflame differences between parties. I guess I would just say make sure that you go out and vote in this upcoming election. It's incredibly important to make sure that our voices are heard and um, try to engage in those difficult conversations with people. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Danny Osborne. Kakite anō.